In the name of Allah, the beneficent, the merciful, the great God who was to come, he's prophesied to come, to seek and to save that which was lost. But we're grateful to him for his intervention in our affairs in the person of Master W. Farad Muhammad, whom praise is due forever. We thank him for his searching among us. The Quran says that Allah knows best where to place his message. And he found one born in Saundersville, Georgia, but he found him in Detroit, Michigan. And even though he looked to be overlooked, and it seemed as if he was inconsequential, but God saw something in him of tremendous value for us. And what he saw in him was a man whose heart was like his heart. Because to serve us, you got to have the right kind of heart. To serve us, you could have the right kind of love. And he saw this, this servant. And one time he was known as Elijah Poole and then Elijah Kareem. But then he became known, and the world knows him as Elijah Muhammad. And we saw him as the messenger of Allah. But Allah has guided us to recognize his growth and development and to see him as the scriptures describe him as the exalted Christ. But I, I wouldn't know either one of them. I wouldn't know the God that came to us. Now, I wouldn't know his very special servant were it not for a wonderful brother, a very special servant who really, um, when time will confirm. And when the history is written, there's no question in my mind that the historians will come to the unanimous conclusion that in this day, in this time, in this hour, that the champion of the oppressed, not only for black people in America, in North America, but really the disenfranchised throughout the globe, that that champion is our friend our brother, an excellent exemplar for him who hopes in Allah in the latter day. And that is the Honorable Mr. Farrakhan. I greet you, my family, with the greeting words of peace. Assalamu alaikum. Well, how are you all doing? Well, it's good to see you all, and I'm doing much, much better, right? All praises due to Allah. Our Savior asked the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, he said, uh, and what kind of rules and regulations, including all laws and force while manufacturing the devil? And the Honorable Elijah Muhammad said, Yaqub's first rule was to see all his followers were healthy, strong, and good breeders, right? But the first condition was healthy. And you don't really appreciate health that something goes wrong. And then you have a greater appreciation for it. Right? Um, I'm, I'm not a sickly person. Right? And so some of the believers know, and some of you who've been around, you, you perhaps know, that for the last few months, I've been kind of struggling, had some health challenges. It's been very humbling for me because I'm not the doctor guy, I'm not the hospital guy, I'm not that guy, right? And sometimes I would get a little 
sensitive. So when people would say, Brother Halim, are you all right? And I would kind of maybe, maybe kind of snap a little bit. I'm all right. I'm not sick. And I wouldn't want to, I didn't want to claim that, right? So here's my sister, um, our doctor, Jennifer, right, Muhammad. And if she could, if she could, and she won't do it because there's too many, too many uh, witnesses, but if she could, she would drag me from this rostrum. <laughs> and she would handcuff me and tell me to sit my so-and-so down, right? And I, I, I do understand. I understand, right? But um, what, what I want to do is, is in this little conversation that we have, I'd like to give some explanation as to what motivates me and um, what I believe is a course that's been set to us by this wonderful example, the Honorable Mr. Farrakhan. Now, what I would like to share, the basis of our little talk, is from the Bible, from the book of Deuteronomy. And Moses is talking to his people. Well, God talking to his people through Moses. And he says to them, I set before you a blessing and a cursing, life and death. And then he says to them, choose life. Choose life. Now, I don't have enough time to get in all of what that and what little I know, I don't have enough time, and what I know about that pales in comparison to what there is to know about that. The, uh, the older you get, and the more that you learn, you start realizing how much you don't know. I mean, you go through life and you learn things, but you also recognize that there is so much of a vast universe of them to learn from. And the Quran says that if the seas were ink and seven more seas added to it and all the trees were pins, you could not exhaust the words of Allah. You can't exhaust the wisdom. So what I'm going to share is just a little bit, just a little bit of what I see in this. Well, the first is, he says to the, to the righteous, choose life. Choose it. To choose means to make a decision. To decide on various options, you make a choice. This is to suggest to us that Allah does not impose. He gives the human being the right to choose. In the Quran, it says that the way from error is distinct from truth. And he says there's no compulsion in religion. 
You have the right to choose. Many of us, we, we forget that fundamental principle that people can choose. And sometimes, uh, particularly when you get into leadership, it could be leadership in the mosque, it could be leadership in the church, it could be leadership at work, it could be leadership at home, and particularly when it comes to parents or those of us who are leadership in the mosque, we forget that people can choose. And so sometimes parents, in my humble opinion, can be a little hypocritical. So they see their children and sometimes we forget that just so we, some of us came into faith at 20 years old, at 30 years old, at 40 years old, some of us older, at 50 years old and older, and we come to faith, and it's very, very exciting when you come to faith. It's a wonderful experience to come to knowledge. It's a wonderful experience to be able to now to see life and to see God. It's a wonderful thing. But sometimes we have a tendency to forget you just got to faith yesterday and all of a sudden now we become so righteous and we see our children and we forget what they're doing now we was doing yesterday true so you find out your children are smoking marijuana gasp lord have mercy stop the presses now I want you to know, I didn't fall from heaven. I came from hell. And so when, I, I, I won't lie to you, that I never smoked tobacco, ever. I thought tobacco is a very nasty habit. It never appealed to me. I thought it was dirty, so I never did it. Never was inclined, never wanted it. And so I didn't smoke camels, I didn't smoke Marlboros, I didn't touch menthol or regular cigarettes. I thought they were nasty. I never smoked tobacco. Tobacco. Now, I indulge in some other stuff. My family is from Jamaica. So, Ganjaman. Rita Marley had this song, Hey Rastaman. Hey, what you say? Give me some of that sensei. And so I remember my brother, he was a bank robber. And I remember he was deported. I was born in the States. I was born in New York City. But my brother was born in Jamaica. And he got caught up in robbing banks. And they deported him back to Jamaica. I don't know how he got back, but somehow he got back into the States. I'm in college, I'm coming home for the vacation, and he's there. I never, he, unfortunately, he passed. But, so I never got a chance to ask him, how did you get back? But I remember under the bed, there was this big grocery bag. And I looked in, into the grocery bag, and there was marijuana like I never saw before. Huge! I never, I never sold, I never was a distributor, I was a consumer, right? And my consumer inclination kicked in. So I know it wasn't mine, 
But it, I knew it was, at that point, it was ours, right? And so I went and took just a, my words bond, I took just a pinch, a pinch, a pinch. And I went back to school with me and my comrades, and we rolled 60 joints from a pinch. I, I was driving mom's, my mother's car. And I was driving in, and she found a roach in my car. Now, it's been a long time since I engaged. Do they still call it roaches? Is it still called roaches? Y'all know. Stop acting like you don't know. Is it? But I, mean, I, I don't know. Well, they called it roach back then. And the roach was the little part of the joint that was left, right? So my mom, she found it, and, and you know, she had a fit. I'm driving her car, engaging in, in this illegal activity. I'm scared. I'm like, okay, mom, I'm apologizing. Okay, okay, my, my word is bond. The very next time. I had her car. She found it. We, we graduated now from a roach to a whole joint. The next time, I'm like, what am I doing? What am I, I'm, I'm just like, I, I don't know. I'm, my decision-making process, my lapses of judgment just becoming more and more extreme. Mom, I'm sorry. It'll never happen again. So and so and so forth. This Y, this X, Y, and Z. Then my words bond the very next time. The very next time. So we graduate from a roach to a joint to now there was a bag and a little small bag full of marijuana. I'm like, this is insane. Now, so, now, as far as I know, as far as I know, none of my children ever engaged, as far as I know, but if I were to find out that they did, it would be hypocritical of me to now all of a sudden impose. See, Allah gives choices. He doesn't impose. He gives choices. Now, there are consequences to choices, of course, and you want to do your best to, to warn people, let them know what the, what the choices are, that if you choose this, here are the consequences. If you choose this, these are the consequences. But Allah gives people choices. He says, I set before you a cursing and a blessing. I set before you life and death. But what he does, he encourages us, choose life. Choose life. Now, to me, have you ever thought about why do you have to even encourage people to choose life? I mean, that would seem like a self-evident. It would seem like a, just a no-brainer to choose life. So why do you even have to go and tell people to choose life? Have you ever thought about in the Ten Commandments, there's certain things God says don't do? He says don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covet your neighbor's this. Don't do X, Y, and Z. He's, he's telling people, but for 
to tell righteous people this, this is a waste of time. You don't tell righteous people don't lie. You don't tell righteous people don't commit fornication or adultery. I mean, this is a waste of your time and theirs. It's a waste of breath. So when you tell people now, have to give them commandments of God, it's because they're doing something that is at odds with God wants. You ever look at, go to the bathroom of a restaurant, and they got a sign telling employees to wash their hands. And you say, why are you telling them this? Because if they did it naturally, there'd be no reason to tell them. That's kind of scary, isn't it? It's a little sobering. That you got to go tell them to wash their hands after they go and, and go and use the restroom. Why do you have to tell people to choose life? Because they live in a world where death is all around them. And not only is death all around them, but death has been made to be attractive to people. So people choose death and don't even think twice about it. Look at the music. Look at the songs. Look at the culture. The Bible says that David is talking and he says that Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Death is there. Death is the pervasive reality under which we live. Death is all around us. People talk about death. And they engage in behavior that is so easy. That you've got to go encourage people, choose life. I set before you now both life and death. Now here's God talking. It wasn't so much the devil doing this, although he does, but God says, I set before you. He's the one that did it. Life and death. And he says, choose life. Are you all okay? Choose life. Now, there is this big discussion in the American political reality about pro-life and pro-choice. So there are people who, and this is, this is not become, this has been for decades now, a very hot topic, very controversial, polarizing a nation. Well, so, but this discussion is not necessarily about that kind of choose life, although it's going to be implied in this. It's not necessarily about that as such. It's about a reality that every day that we live, every moment, every second, every millisecond, we are placed in the valley of decision. Every moment. And we always have a choice at every moment. We can either, in that moment, in that, in that juncture of history, we can either choose life or we can choose death. We can either choose a blessing or we can either choose a cursing. It's always there. It's never neutral. It's always a choice, and the choice is ours. And so we can always decide, do we want life or do we want death? And to choose death in a world like this is so easy. 
I'm a Buffalo brother. Buffalo, New York. And some of you have been around for a while, and so you know that my fellow Buffalonian, Rick James, he had a song called Mary Jane. You remember that? And he said, I'm in love with Mary Jane. She's my main thing. She makes me feel all right. She makes my heart sing. And when I'm feeling low, she comes as no surprise, turns me on with her love, takes me to paradise. Now, someone may think that Rick talking about a sister. He ain't talking about a woman. He talking about marijuana, herb. I'm in love with Mary Jane. So I grow up in that kind of, I grow up in that. I'm in love, and so I was like that too. I'm in love with Mary Jane too. I'm like Rick, she's my main thing. She makes me feel okay. So in a world like this, in a culture like this, where drugs and alcohol are easy, are made to be attractive, where people are engaged in activity with no thought, with no sense of reservation, with no hesitancy at all, where they embrace love, I mean, excuse me, where they embrace death. And in the Bible, it talks about the devil. It talks about Satan, that he deceived the whole world. He's, his deception is so skilled. See, you can lie in the absence of truth. Well, people are not around, people don't know, you can lie. But what makes Satan so skilled is that he can lie in the presence of truth and make the lie attractive, make the lie appealing. How do you know that people overwhelmingly are choosing death. You don't have to be Einstein. You don't got to be a scholar. I mean, just look. Look at where we live. Not just look at where we live, take a look in the mirror. And it will give a sober assessment of where we are, where our decisions clearly in many cases, are not confirmation of life, but of death. So the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, he said he was like a traffic cop, trying to just slow us down from the graveyard. Do you remember him saying that? I didn't hear, I heard the minister say this. We were so reckless. And so heedless, his objective was not just to stop us, that's one. He just tried to slow us down on this reckless descent. You would think people would try to, they see themselves on the way, you think they want to slow down. He's like a traffic cop trying to slow us down. The older I get, you start realizing you got more years behind than you got in front of you. And then you start saying, oh, man, because when I'm gone, 
I'm be gone for a long, long time. So let me just slow this down. So Dr. Jennifer, she, she was talking to me a couple of days ago, telling me about stress. Brother, you can't stress yourself out. Stress is a killer. Now, and she got my, when she tells me about killing and dying and whatnot, right? Okay, she got my, okay, I'll try to do better. Let me, because I don't want to die. The Honorable Ajami said, don't even ask a wise man, ask a fool. Do you want to live? I want to live. So, so when you tell me that things I'm doing is going to now increase my, my move to the grave, I say, okay, well, let me, let me just slow this down then. Let me start doing, modifying my behavior because I want to be around for a long time. Because when I'm gone, I'll be gone for a long time. In fact, about it, no one's ever came back and told us what it's like on the other side. So I don't have a lot of confidence on coming back. And those, if they did come back, and they did tell you, if they said to you, hold it, Brother Halim, I was there, I saw it, I was, it's heavenly, it's beautiful on the other side, I'll ask them, why you come back then? Because if it's all that, I want to stay there. True. Choose life. So, in Hide to Live, here's what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad said. He said this, remember, whenever you eat, you are to eat to live and not die. Remember this. That's a command statement. That is an imperative statement. This is not negotiable. I'm not trying to give you some kind of way out. We're not negotiating here. He says, remember this. Whenever you eat, you are to eat to live and not die. He's saying now, you got a choice. You got a choice. There's two. I said before you, life and death. Choose life. When, now, we can have conversation with you. And now I were to ask you, what is your kryptonite food? What's your kryptonite food? Some say pizza. Some say McDevils. Some say Kentucky Fried Grease. Some say Burger Death. And some of you know, I'm very honest about it, I'm, 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 I think I'm over it now, but my kryptonite food was potato chips. I was a potato chip connoisseur. I could write a dissertation about potato chips. And we can go to the detail about why this, see now, I say no, see now that, this is a superior potato chip right here. See, look, look at the color there. You see, you see how light it is? You can taste it. See now, the, the taste is very subtle. Now that chip right here, this is a cheap chip. Yeah, a little bit too much salt. And it's not even sea salt, right? And so I, I would know about potato chips. And in my 
eating. It became more and more where I'm here now on a low level, but as I grow more and more, I'm going to choose life. I got, a I got a text today from a brother back in Buffalo. He texted me this morning about 10, 15 minutes before I came to the rostrum, I mean, before, I, before the meeting started, and he told me, he said to me, brother, how are you doing? How is your health? He said, I had my leg amputated today. I remember he came in the ranks, 16 years old. He's a grown man now with a family. In 1994, the minister's going around the country, and he's building up support for the Million Man March. And there was a brother from Rochester, New York. He was a Priority 75 brother, very knowledgeable about the teachings. And he wanted to talk to the minister. And the minister, yes, will meet me before he goes on the plane. So during that time, you know, this is prior to 9-11, and you can go and you can, you know, you know, the passengers, you can go there and meet with them before they go on the plane. I'm right there. I'm not trying to eavesdrop. I'm just right there, listening. And he says, Mr. says to him, well, brother, have you ever read How to Eat to Live? And he said, yes. He said, well, I can't give you a better, um, I forgot the exact words, but, but better advice, I think it was what he used, advice to that. So now, my next memory for brother, now there may have been some interval, you know, my meeting with him, I don't remember. My next memory was in Chicago, Savior's Day. And we're at the McCormick. And the next time I see him, both of his legs are amputated. My next memory, again, I don't know, maybe I saw him in the interval, I don't remember. But my next memory, my brother is dead. So here he can, even at the expense of his body parts, even at the expense of the surgeon removing. See, when you lose your legs, that's not the first thing that goes. Ordinarily, you lose your toes first. And then it graduates. So you don't lose your leg is the first thing. So it becomes a gradual process. So here's a brother who can't stop eating sugar. That white devil has him, has him, has him in such a grip, he can't let it go. He has before him two options. He has life and he has death. But the Honorable Elijah Muhammad says, remember, whenever you eat, you are to eat to live. But my brother now violated that principle. And as a result, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad said, when God comes, he comes to give us life and to give us life more abundantly. So when you are to eat, you are to eat to live. I listen to the believers and what they think is good food. It's stunning to me. So some of us eat macaroni and cheese. I think that's healthy food. True? Now I love macaroni and cheese. I don't eat it very. 
Every once in a while, if you have some outing someplace, because I haven't had it in years, but I, I will, everyone. I, I, that's, that's not my kryptonite, but I will eat it. I will. But I know it's not good for me. I know you love your spaghetti and your pasta. See, look at you. I lost half you already. You were smiling when I mentioned pasta. You got real serious. Hold it, brother. Hold it now. I remember the minister, he, we, had, we were having a, it was an FOI class. He's talking to the brothers. And he said, brothers, pizza's not good for you. No? Now, I... Second in my connoisseurs of food was pizza. I love pizza. I love white pizza. It's pizza without the, you know, that's without the sauce. And I, in Buffalo, they had this place called Just Pizza. So all they did was make pizza. And they would have this, this garlic crust. And they would, I would love it with spinach or broccoli and having garlic on the pizza. And I think I mean healthy. So I thought. And so some of us, we know that the pizza is not good for us. We know the pasta is not good for us. We know the sugar is not good for us. And for those of you who are here, I'm going to make you very upset for you. Leave the Piggly Wiggly alone. Many of us love that pork from the toot to the snoot, and if we could bottle the pig oink, we'd eat that too. Choose life, not death. Whenever you eat, choose life. So, there's certain foods that appear to be good, but it really they're not. So remember in Alice in Wonderland, so she's, she, gets, she eats this apple, looks like an apple, but it puts her to sleep. So some of these foods, they look good. They look like real apples. They look like real bananas. They look like real produce, but they're not. And what they do is they put us to sleep. They kill us. And so, my dear family, I'm about to get, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say something. I get in trouble every time I say it. I don't know how to say it. But, now, so, the, the, you say it's okay. I, I have to say it in a way, be very delicately, because, you know, sometimes people get very, I, I've just learned people get very, very upset by this, very, 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 very sensitive, and I get it, and I'm, I'm not trying to hurt you, my words are my bond to our Savior, but I couldn't be your brother and just not say it, I can't be your brother and just ignore it, I wouldn't be your brother and just act like it's not there. But weight is killing us. And so we're, we're, we're picking up all these pounds. 
It's not good for us. It's not healthy for us. And so what happens is, in a moment of depression, in a moment of despair, in a moment of despondency, we don't choose life, we choose death. We don't choose life, we choose haagen Where is the haagen And it'd be one thing if we ate maybe a teaspoon or so, but we, we eat the whole pint. True? And then we start getting bigger and bigger. Because we're not choosing life. Some of us will buy a bean pie. Eat it in one sitting. And then we start talking about, you know what, my clothes are shrinking. Yeah, then that's one explanation. I got a more reasonable explanation. Choose life. Choose life. Okay. You all okay? Are you sure? Food is a very delicate subject with us. And I've learned that you, you, I, I used to be kind of just kind of willy-nilly and talk about food and whatnot, but I've learned that it's very very, very sensitive. But food is big. In fact about it, from the Bible, suffering and death and pain was ushered because of food. God told Moses, I mean, God told Adam and Eve, you can eat from every place, any tree you want, except for that tree. See, death was ushered in because people ate the wrong food. You eat the right food, it gives you life. You eat the wrong food, it gives you death. Choose life. Okay. Choose life. Now, the minister, he said that this was in... Um, uh, what do you call it? This is closing the gap. And he was talking about how Yaqub made a devil. One, he said, he took the dissatisfied and taught them lies. And he said, if you want to reverse that, take the dissatisfied, but teach them truth. And in bringing them truth, it brings them to life. See, if you choose truth, you choose life. I set before you life and death, choose life. See, many of us, we give lip service to truth, but we only give lip service to truth, those truths that make us feel comfortable. But those truths that disturb our comfort, those things about us now that make us have a very sober inventory to ourselves, those are much more difficult for us to embrace. To Choose life. To be a follower of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad takes courage. And that main courage is to look and accept truth. 
And the first truth we have to accept is the truth about ourselves. In the Quran, it says it like this. Surely man is created impatient, fretful when evil afflicts him, niggardly when good befalls him, except for those who pray, who are humble in their prayers, and those in whose wealth there's a known right for the beggar and the destitute, and those who accept the truth of the day of judgment. Now, the minister said, accepting the truth of the day of judgment means, means a lot different, but one of it means whenever someone brings truth on us that shines light on our actions, our behavior, our hidden motives, to ascend to God means you accept the truth of what that is. Brother Halim, you did so-and-so and so-and-so, X, Y, and Z, this, that, and the other. Well, for me now, to accept life means to accept the truth of what you just told me about myself. If I deny it, I deny myself life. So, dear family, in our mosque, in our families, in our homes, for whatever reasons, people have a hard time accepting truth. And this unwillingness to accept truth brings about a lot of hardship a lot of pain. So husband and wives, here's the brother telling his wife, manifest truths. Husband telling, wife telling the husband, manifest truths. So here's a wife, she complains about her husband. He's out all night. I don't know where he is. I don't know what he's doing. He's confronted with it. And rather than just acknowledge the truth of what the woman is saying, he wants to deflect. He wants to justify. He wants to lie about it. Insulting that woman's intelligence. And when you deny truth, you deny life. I try. I'm not, I'm not 100% on this. But I try to, to be honest. Sometimes I don't do as well as I'd like. And if you bring something to me, it doesn't mean necessarily I see it the way you see it. But if, and some of you know this, because you had a chance to be around me. If you bring something to me, and you correct me on something, OK, I'll, I'll do better next time. It was a meeting a few months ago. And I had set some believers, and I was setting some ground rules about um, how we should conduct ourselves. My daughter was there. And I was violating my own principle. And she brought it to my attention. Now, you said so-and-so and so-and-so, but you're doing so-and-so and so-and-so. It's my daughter now. Correcting me. I didn't say... Listen, I'm your father. I didn't say, my response wasn't, listen, I'm the minister of the mosque. 
My response was, you're right. You're right. I'll do better. And because she's bringing me truth now. And when someone brings truth, even sometimes your enemies can be your best friend because our so-called friends sometimes won't tell us the truth. But our enemies, our so-called enemies, they can be our best friends because they'll tell us the truth and they are quick about it. Brother Halim, so-and-so and so-and-so. Well, they may not like me. They may not think this about me, but they're telling me the truth. And I bow down. Okay, you're right. Truth. Except truth. The minister said, Jesus, the Bible, talks about another thing that brings us life is the law. We're always confronted with something. Bring either we can choose life or we can choose death. Now, I, I found out something that I didn't really think about, but I think it's a valid point. I did not know how many people don't know what slack talk is. I mean, genuinely don't know. I'll talk about slack talk and gossip, believing everyone knows what that is. But I've come to learn everyone doesn't know what that is. So what's happening is people are engaging in slack talk and gossip and not realizing it. But every moment, we're confronted with a choice. Either we can accept the law or we can reject it. Either we can now accept life or we can reject it. If we accept the law, it brings life. If we reject it, it brings death to us. One of the easiest ones, one of the ones that's one of the big ones is slack talk and gossip. That's killing us. When, when you go to somebody, who can't do anything about it. And you're raising all your issues. That's not constructive. Because what it does, it brings about death in the family. I, the minister told me, he said, brother, don't trivialize slack talk and gossip. Don't trivialize it. Every moment, we have, a, we have the option. Either accept life or we can reject it. The Bible says, choose life. I'm appealing to my family. I'm, a I'm appealing to my believing family. When the, the impulse to engage in this kind of vain talk that the Quran says, I'm appealing to us to now reject death and accept life. Life. There are people who you think you know something about. You think you do, but you really don't. Because of slack talking gossip. People have said something, but you really don't. I'm appealing to us, choose life.
in the Bible, Jesus says about himself. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So now, here is life manifested in a human being. A man. Life. Choose life. had some health challenges. And I had a bag for one of my kidneys. And I didn't realize, you know, I didn't realize how much pain I was in. I didn't realize it until it was taken out of me. I mean, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't bend down without pain. I would get up in the morning, pain. I mean, things I took for granted, pain. And when the bag was taken out of me, because I got accustomed to the pain, I would make a more so, oh, the pain's not there. Oh, okay, the pain's not, and I'm, I'm still not completely acclimated, but now I'm getting closer and closer to being where I once was without the pain. I never took any Tylenol. Any ibuprofen, kind of like drugs. So I just dealt with it. You know, I just, and, and I wasn't trying to be some, some big guy. I just don't like drugs. But this experience has given me an appreciation for our brother, our servant, the Honorable Minister Farrakhan. So now I, I get a little bit of a sense of what he goes through. So I had this bag for like about two and a half, three months. My pain wasn't so bad. I could have taken some ibuprofen. I could have taken some aspirin. I could have taken some, some Tylenol to alleviate the pain. I didn't. But the Honorable Mr. Farrakhan told me, he says that he is in such intense pain that there is no drug that the enemy can give that can take away his pain. He is in pain all the time. I, I, I don't know how he does it. And here's the part about it. He doesn't complain about it. You don't hear him. His spirit is not, oh Allah, why you do this to me? His spirit is not, oh Allah, I've been faithful to you. Oh Allah, I've been aware of you. Why are you rewarding my faithful service with pain? Rewarding my faithful service with inconvenience. That's not his spirit. That's not his mindset. In fact, it's just the opposite. Right. 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 You find a man who's grateful to God. 
Undeserved suffering is redemptive. Your brother is suffering. But the suffering he's going through is to redeem a people who are dead. To redeem appreciative of someone making a sacrifice for them. You're reading about Jesus who paid for our sins and you think about some cracker 2,000 years ago but don't realize a man living among us right now who's paying a price for us. Giving his life for us every day he lives. I remember I was blessed to I was with the minister, right? We hit the palace, and it was it was hot. Sun is out, and then some clouds came to block. And he said, "Oh, thank you, Allah." But he said it with such no pretension. I mean, no show. It was. It was a very subtle moment, but it was, it was impactful on me. I'm looking at a man who is so grateful to God, despite what he's going through. Now, tell me if I'm wrong. Here's the minister on his deathbed, three minutes from leaving. Laborers, his family, they think the minister's about to check out. He's about to die. In the midst of his pain, he's thanking Allah for his pain. He's not cursing God. He's thanking him. I'm asking for truth now. Except truth. Many of us, when our lives are inconvenienced, we got a little pain. Most of us use that as an excuse or a justification to get ghosts. We leave. We go for a month or two. A year. We do this. Why? Why we do this? I broke up with my wife. I'm in pain. And that's why you leave the mosque? Because you separate from your wife? Is that why you leave? Because you have problems with your domestic life and your husband? Why you leave? you leave? You mean to tell me you left the mosque for a month because the captain didn't give you the greetings? You mean to tell me you left because you had an argument, because of discomfort, because of conflict, and that's why we leave? This is insane! It's not the example of the Honorable Mr. Farrakhan. So when pain happens in our life, I'm appealing to choose life. Be grateful. Choose life. In our lessons. The Savior asked the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, he said, why did we let half original man Columbus discover the poor part of the earth? And the Honorable Elijah said, because the original man is the God and owner of the earth and knows every square inch of it. He chose for himself the best part. He didn't care about the poor part. In every relationship, in every experience we go through, so your husband had no good so-and-so and so-and-so. That wife had 
no good so-and-so and so-and-so. Bad relationship, bad experience. And so most of us in our engagement with situations, with problems, with relationships, all we do is settle on the worst part. The Savior says, or the Honorable Elijah Muhammad says, we don't care about the poor part. Brother, it didn't work out with you and the, and the sister. But she gave you three beautiful children. So you're going to talk about her like a dog. You're going to complain about her. Can I offer another way of looking at it? Don't care about the poor part. It may not have worked out. Maybe it was bitter. Maybe it was you know, uh, contentious. However, she gave you life. She gave you them beautiful children. Settle on that part. Settle on the best part. It didn't work out, sis. You were attracted to him. It didn't work out. But you're selling the best part. In my experience, you with love, and pick pick whatever it is. So maybe maybe he he's not to show the kind of care and sensitivity that you like. He's down here with that. You like him to be up there. Here's a mistake that I see. Now, you may be upset with me. I'm just sharing with you my observation. So, the man makes a move in the right direction. It's like the baby who's walking, the baby's trying to walk, and the baby falls down. You don't beat the baby up and say, look at you. What the hell wrong with you? Why don't you walk? That was being conceivable to us. You applaud the baby when the baby makes a move. I, I'm, I'm, so here's what I see. So he makes, it's not perfect. He has a long way to go. But as opposed to settling on the best part, as opposed to acknowledging when the man makes a move in the right direction, you say, you know, in your own way, you thank Allah for what the man is doing. Brother Halim, so some people may, may not like my style, certain things I may do. Um, so I, for reasons that are mine, after the mosque, after I'm over with, to make the announcement. And I'm not, they have, a, they have a valid issue. I'm not dismissing at all, at all, at all. But some say, Brother Halim, I'm so sick and tired of hearing your voice. You already talked an hour and a half already, and then you long-winded so it's not, it's not like your announcement of 
you talk all day. So now you keep us here, 12 o'clock, 12.15. I, I get it. I've had some people call me up, brother. Why are you guys here all day? I'm, I'm serious. I'm sorry. I, I, so if, if, I, if I get us out of here at 12.05, don't beat me up. I'm doing better. And I have been conscious of the time. If I get If you, so, like you beat me up, you got us out of here at 12 o'clock. All praises due to Allah. Thank you, sir. See, if you give me encouragement, make me do better now. If you sell the best part, you make me do better now. But if all I get is when you just We all want to be encouraged. I do too. But I look at my minister, our minister, the Honorable Mr. Farrakhan. And what he does, he chooses life. See, when you're grateful, that's choosing life. Despite whatever conditions we're going through, that's choosing life. Man, since I've been going through this health issue, this health crisis, like I said before, I'm not a sickly brother. Going through this experience for me now. But what it's done for me is make me now a much more sensitive to what others go through. There was kind of an arrogance on my part. I try to eat if I try to eat. I do. And so I don't go to I don't go to fast food places. I eat a lot of junk. Well, and so when, when this all this comes on me, I'm like, what am I doing? What happened to me? And I was like many of you, you're going through something and you're wondering why. Why are you going through this? I don't know all the reasons. Oh. But I do know this. I have a wonderful example in the honor of Mr. Farrakhan. And so when I see him, despite whatever he's going through, I see his reliance on Allah. I see his, his spirit of thankfulness and gratitude. I say, I want to be like that man. Because he's my reflection. He's my example. He's my model. So, painful experiences. Difficult times, yes. toxic relationships. Yes. You can settle on the world. You can choose the focus on death, or you can choose life. I don't care how crazy you look. As a people, there is God in every single one of us. All of us. Now the question is, what do you want to settle? In the Bible, Jesus said, like, blessed are the pure in heart, but they shall see God. Yeah, yeah. So the question is, you're crazy. 
your crazy sister, no matter how, you know, insane they are, can you see divine in them? Can you choose life in them? Can you settle the best part with them? an argument. You have a disagreement. Sometimes you can go to an argument. And so what happens with most of us? You have an argument. that argument. He's a her asthmatic uncle. And they went and told me this, that, and the other. And you're dwelling on this. And you can do this. Because you have the power of choice. See, every single time, every moment, we're going to be confronted. Either choose life or choose death. And so even in disagreements, there's a what that is, it's an opportunity to repair a relationship. The right way. Now we have an opportunity to produce peace, to produce harmony. Settle on the best part if you choose life. But the choice is ours. Now, I ain't going to tell you no lie. I'm not going to tell you full disclosure. There's some people who, when they call, when they call, you get a spontaneous smile on your caller ID. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so and so and so and so is calling. Sometimes, brother, it may be a sister you like, and she's calling you. Be heavy. Sister, maybe your brother you sweet on, yeah. calling you. You get but then there are those on your caller ID. They call. You got to take a heavy sigh. You got you got to go do about five rockouts. You guys go pray to your Savior. Give me patience, because you know it's going to be some issues. You know this. And as opposed to putting a smile, as opposed to lifting your spirits, it's a heaviness. It weighs on you. And we've all had that experience. We all have people in our orbit who are like that to us. But here's, here's the challenge. Can you see this as an opportunity to choose life? Do you see this as an opportunity? Now, the, the, the older I get in Islam, I'm, I'm getting more and more like the minister. See, I believe, my words, my, I believe if I can keep you in my orbit long enough, I believe I can win you over. I just believe that. Maybe there's an arrogance, maybe the hubris, maybe I'm thinking more of myself than what I should, but I just believe that if I can get you, if we can stay together long enough, we're going to settle this thing. That's what I believe. I believe if I get you long enough, that frowning in your 
face, there won't be a smile on the end. That's what I believe. Because I want to choose life. I choose death. I want to choose life. Last point, and I'm going to let you go. I, we, we have a, we're at a moment. Showdown now. And people are being asked to come to a decision. Do you, do you follow Paul? Next year, there'll be the race for the presidency. And now people are being asked to choose between the lesser of two evils. It's a hell of an option, isn't it? Both of them evil. But now you are told to choose the lesser of two evils. A woman. You abide in man and woman. Either one of them. So. You ain't going to find me embracing Trump. You're going to find me embracing, embracing Biden at all. So I had a, a discussion with a FOI. This was recently, a few years ago. And so who was into Trump? I, that kind of trips me out, too. When I see believers into Trump, it kind of trips me out when I see believers into Biden. And I said to brother, I said, brother, I'm not into Biden. I'm not into Trump. I'm not voting for either one of them. I'm voting for God, man. See, we got another choice out there. I'm making appeal to choose life. And that life is represented by a man. A time is coming. And people are going to look at ministers and as they're doing now, it's very, very gradual, as they're doing, and they're going to see that God has given us a tremendous gift. Yeah. Yeah. He's given us a man whose love for us is unmatched. That's right. He's given us a man whose heart is like God's heart. Because black folk are difficult people to love. Yes, black people are difficult people to serve. Yes. We are insane. Yes. And you know we're insane because you know you crazy. Yes. True. True. I asked us to be honest. Oh, yeah. And you know you're insane. Yes. I'm going to be honest. I'm crazy. I saw in the Webster's Dictionary, I looked up the word crazy different connotations of crazy. And I think it was the fifth or sixth. I forgot which one. But I think it was the fifth one. It said, Abdul-Halim Muhammad. <laughs> and there was a picture of me. 
I am the definition of crazy. So I can talk with authority about crazy people. To serve a people like this takes tremendous love. And our minister, Mr. Farrakhan, I, remember the Million Man March? Yes. Of course you remember it. There was this big national preacher in Buffalo, big preacher. Brother Eric, you remember him? Reverend Bennett Smith, big preacher. I was trying to call him about and finally he called me and he told me he, I, I'm thinking he said we had a meeting with the national meeting about the man in March. He said we had this meeting and he said I'm, so I'm thinking he's going to say yeah we in we're there we're going back to Minnesota and he called and says we and we decided we're not going to help. He said, our God is not Allah. Our God is Jesus. I'm not Brown. I'm, I'm like John. And I'm, I, don't know what to, I, don't, I don't know what my response was to the brother. Right? I called the minister. I said, yeah, if I was like, told him the conversation I had with this, and the minister knows who he is, told him what he had right, about this. There was not one iota of hesitancy on his part. I mean, his spirit was, if they come, fine. If they don't, that's fine also. Because in the end, we're going to be the winner, living or dead. It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference. Man, March was an overwhelming victory. Bless me, and some of you were there. On the news, they talking about the Million Man March, and they were saying a million, a million people. Do you know what it looks like? And they had a whole big. They said you got to have about this many people to have a million. Not only. We had over nearly two million brothers that were there. Overwhelming. Reverend Jackson, he was there at that meeting. When they talked about they weren't going to help. Reverend Shopton was there at that meeting. Tell them they weren't going to help. But you know what? Over there guess who went to go speak there? Reverend Jackson. Guess who went to go speak there? Shopton. The minister never threw it in their face. He never told them, niggas, y'all wouldn't help me now. You ain't going to be there. You know why? Because he has the heart of a redeemer. That's his heart. That's his spirit. If you want to be a follower of him, that's good to be And it first starts inside the house of God. Yeah, you're crazy for me, you're crazy. 
and your brother number one crazy. If I do something, if I say something, I'm appealing to you, be a redeemer for your brother. Appealing to us. Be redeemers. You can take it, the stick and beat them up all if you want to. You can do this. You can. To me. So, I look at my brother here. Our student minister, Abdul Iman Muhammad. You know what? This man, he, with his work, what he, what he did, is doing, and will do for us in the future. So, the, the holder of this mortgage, after we paid it, gave us a check for $50,000. $50,000. But, and what he did to make our word bond in this city. We had an issue. We got behind. He, the woman told me I talked to her. He said, they never avoided me. They made their word bond. We paid it up. And we never got behind. And she was so impressed by that. So no matter what you may think about Brother Abdul Imam Muhammad, you got to give credit where credit is due. You got to bear witness to what he did. What he did, what he's doing, and what he's going to do on our behalf. You settle on the best part. You're grateful what God gives you. You can beat Brother up. He's made mistakes. I've made mistakes. Well, guess what? You've made mistakes too. None of us are here going through life without making mistakes. Allah says in the Quran if Allah would destroy men for their sins, there wouldn't be one soul left alive. Not you, not me, not any of us. Choose life. Choose the best part. Sit on the best part. I'm in this hot as hell city called Phoenix, Arizona. Did I say hell? What is hot? Brother Robert's hot as hell, right? To be in the summer, 115, 118, sweltering. I've been there, Brother Robert, there. I think the hottest I've been here is 19 degrees. That's hot as hell. But I'm here in Phoenix. But you know what? Summers are brutal, but the winters are divine. Yes, yes, yes. I'm from Buffalo, New York. <laughs> In Buffalo, I one, one, there was one winter, we got seven feet of snow. 
You hear me? Feet, not centimeters. Feet are slow. I use a chaplain in the Department of Corrections. We had a meeting up in Lake Placid, New York. You ever Lake Placid? It was 25 below zero. Not windshield. Oh, um, Lake Placid is very famous because it's an Olympic village. They had two Olympics, one in 32 and one in 1980. So there's a big Olympic mountain. On that Olympic mountain, it was 100 below zero. 100 below zero. That is mind-numbing. I'm in Phoenix. Hot. But I, I want to sell them the best part. Best part, the divine way. Really best part is this believing community. These believers, as crazy as you are, I love you. Muhammad's mosque number 32, I may be biased. I may have, you know, I may be a little uh, um, prejudiced, but I believe Allah has blessed us with the best mosque in the nation of Islam. That's my belief. I love my belief in Buffalo. I love my mosque in Buffalo. My words bond. I love my mosque in Buffalo. But they're special. And when I say special, I don't mean like those who rode the yellow bus. Although some of you did. That was special in the good way. Special. Special mosque. And we have a wonderful opportunity. If we can find the discipline to accept life, find the discipline to sell on the best part, find the discipline and the will to want to make a kingdom here, right here in Phoenix, Arizona. That kind of will, that kind of spirit, that kind of zeal, we can make our Savior happy. We can make his Christ happy. And we can be pleasing to the honor of Mr. Farrakhan to make a heaven right here on earth. If we can do that with that kind of joy, to make a house of joy here in Muhammad's Mosque number 32, there's nothing on earth that we can't do. We got a bad mosque, not the bad bad, the good bad. And we got awesome believers. What we need now is the heart that the honorable Mr. Farrakhan has got. What we need now is the kind of love he demonstrates. Can you love Brother Halim? I didn't finish my statement now. Can you love me when I mess up? Yes, sir. You can? Now, I hear Brother Yassin saying that. Y'all very quiet. Talk. 
Can you love your brother and sister despite their frailties, despite their imperfections, despite their, even sometimes, their willful rejection of righteous principles? Can you still love them? That's our challenge. That's our challenge to produce now the transformation of human life. Because the heart of a redeemer, that's not an easy life. Can you be the supernatural thing? See, the natural thing is to go like for like. The natural thing, they do wrong by you, cuss them out. The unnatural thing is to turn the other cheek. I'm not talking about the physical cheek now. Especially white folk. White, taught, white folk have taught us to turn the other cheek. And we turn this cheek, and we turn this cheek, and we've turned this cheek, and we turn this cheek, and we got no more cheeks to turn. Turn the other cheek with one another. When we do wrong by each other, we hold on to it. And we got no we got no hesitation. Why are you upset with me? Well, brother, you did so-and-so. I, 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 I apologize. When did, when did I do this? Brother, you remember when you did it. I, I really don't. When did I do it? Brother, I remember like it was yesterday. It was June 3rd, 1997, and you didn't give me the greens. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. We can hold on to stuff. I'm appealing to us. Let's transform our mosque. Let's choose life. And let's make a, a house of joy that will be pleased. So when he sees us, he will know that we're not. He will know that we are his. So I thank you for your time and your patience, and I greet you with the greeting words of peace. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you.